I think I may have mentioned to you before, we use this, this common expression in Zen centers, uh, well, particularly in Japan and also in the United States, we have this expression, Zazen. You've all heard that? So I'm suggesting to you that Zazen is a social practice. And when it's mature, you know, there's like people first start practicing Zazen, <clears throat> when they first start doing it, they do not understand that it's a social practice often. They think that they're doing it by themselves, maybe with nobody else, but maybe in a meditation hall, they're doing Zazen, I'm doing Zazen by myself, and those other people are doing Zazen by themselves. That's the way a lot of beginners understand it, and we let them think that. I mean, I let them think that. Some Zen teachers do not let them think that, and they have almost no students. <laughs> but there are Zen teachers like that. The person comes, and they think they're going to practice Zazen by themselves, and the teacher says, bye-bye. This is not the practice here. Go away. This is a social practice. I'm, although I'm saying that, I'm not strict about it. So you can go ahead and think it's not. not a, and when it's mature, when you understand that, it's social justice, which is also called Buddha and ancestors. It's also called the, the teaching and the practice of reality is social. It's something that everybody, all the living beings are doing together is reality. Uh, <clears throat> in the, we have this, uh, this text which we've been reciting at noon service. It's an excerpt from one of the writings of an ancestor named Ehe Dogen. This is an excerpt from one of his texts. The text is called in Japanese, Bendowa, and this section of the text is dealing with something called, could be translated as self-receiving and self-employing, or self-receiving and self-giving samadhi. So it's speaking about a mind that is collected, on the awareness of receiving a self and giving a self. That's, that's a mind, a concentrated mind, which is, and, and this receiving self and giving self could also be translated as self-fulfillment or self-enjoyment. And this, in Japanese, this term is pronounced G, self, Jew, receiving, you, giving or employing, samadhi, zammai. Jiju, zammai, self-receiving and employing, self-fulfilling samadhi. It's a concentration, it's a mind that's concentrated on self-fulfillment. It's a name that's used to apply to the Buddha's mind 
when the Buddha is sitting under the tree of enlightenment, enjoying being a Buddha. This samadhi is referring to the Buddha mind enjoying itself. To receive the merit of one's own practice and to enjoy it oneself. So the Buddha is sitting under the Bodhi tree, enjoying the bliss of freedom, which is coming because of her practice for a long time. She's enjoying the bliss of social justice for herself. And I wrote out here, Jijuyu, uh, self-fulfillment, is immediately other fulfillment. So there's another samadhi, which is called Tajuyu samadhi, or the, the concentrated awareness of giving and receiving others. So Dogen's saying, our Zazen practice is the Buddha sitting under the Bodhi tree enjoying for himself social justice. And I'm saying, yes, and that is actually sitting under the bow tree and walking around the bow tree and leaving the bow tree and going into town and enjoying receiving and employing others. The Buddha's self-fulfillment is the fulfillment of others. That's what Buddha's enjoying. Buddha's zazen is everybody enjoying Buddha's zazen. Buddha's enjoyment is the enjoyment of transforming his life into social justice and simultaneously enjoying that other people are doing that with her. So, so the helping oneself, enjoying oneself in social justice is, I'm saying, identical and simultaneous with other people enjoying themselves in social justice. This whole process can also be called menju, face-to-face transmission. The Buddha is sitting under the Bodhi tree enjoying reality as a social justice, and the Buddha's face is transmitting this to everybody else. And, and that's what the Buddha is enjoying, is this, this wonderful transmission. And the other people, everybody's transmitting their face to the Buddha. So the, there's various stories about the Buddha's enlightenment. Some of the stories are said to be what the historical person actually said was going on that night and that morning. And then there's later stories which some people say, well, the, we, don't, we don't really think that Buddha said this historically during his life, but still in the Zen tradition, we had stories about what Buddha said, which seemed to be maybe later than when the Buddha was around. So. So one of these stories about what the, happened at the time of Buddha's awakening is that the Buddha 
looked at the morning star, which I guess is Venus, the Buddha looked at Venus and said, I now, together with all beings, realize the way. And the Buddha is enjoying realizing the way, the way of reality, the way of peace and freedom. And I'm, it's with everybody's doing this with me. I've been taking good care of myself for quite a while. And I've made some mistakes, but I finally learned how to take care of myself. And it's really great. And everybody's doing this with me. And I'm doing this with everybody. And the way we're doing this is face-to-face conversation. However, many beings do not understand this, even though they're doing it with me. I see that, well, I'm enjoying <laughs> the wisdom of Buddhas. I'm like Buddha's wisdom, so I'm in, and I'm enjoying it. I'm the virtues of of Buddhas, and I'm enjoying the virtues of Buddhas. And it's been a wonderful trip to get here. It's been hard, but I'm home now in Buddha virtue and Buddha wisdom. And and, and one of the nice things about Buddha wisdom is I see that all living beings fully possess what I have realized. All living beings, humans, yes, even non-humans, fully possess Buddha's wisdom. All beings are fully possessing Buddha's wisdom and Buddha's virtues. I see that now, and this is a really happy thing for me to see. I'm so joyful to see everybody, how great everybody is. And that they're transmitting this to me, and I'm transmitting that to them, and this transmission is... Buddha's virtues. Our relationship actually is Buddha's wisdom. However, I can also see that they don't get it. They don't believe this. They, can, they say, I cannot understand this, if I would ask them. But I can tell they don't understand it, even though they fully possess it. Because they have some idea of what understanding would be. I've gotten over that. They have some clinging. And because they're clinging, they seem to not understand that they're not clinging. And I'm just like them, except I'm clinging so, except I can cling completely, and they're kind of half hearted about it. (laughs) And so I'm free of the clinging, and they're not, so they can't believe that we're doing this together. But we are, and this is great. So I guess I have to talk to him about this. I, I need to continue. The conversation's already going on, but I need to continue it because they do not, they can't believe that they actually, not only have they attained Buddha's virtues, but they're transmitting these virtues to everybody else. They really, that's really hard. It was hard for me too, but I got it finally. 
and it's great. <laughs> and some people during this retreat have come and told me, in a way, they've come and told me that they've actually appreciate that they've learned ways to take care of themselves that are really quite self-fulfilling, that they really appreciate. Like, yeah, like I have these problems, and I have heard about how to take care of them, and I'm doing those practices, and it's really great. I'm like, it's a big relief, and it's, yeah, it's freedom. But I don't see how my freedom is helping the people in jail in North Carolina or California or Syria. Or, I, don't, I can't see how my practice is their practice. I'm having a hard time seeing that. And I say, well, yeah, that is, that's, it's about the most difficult thing to understand. First of all, it's hard to understand how to take care of yourself. Then, how could this, and this is beneficial, but it's just for me. So there is a kind of practice which seems to be for me. And it's hard to understand how the practice that's just for me is actually the same as the practice that's just for others. It's hard to understand that. So there are these two practices, practices for me that benefit me, and then there's practices for others which benefit others. And there are two different practices. And there's even some people actually aspire to do practices for themselves, and they don't aspire to do practices for others. That's called individual practice. And other people aspire to practice for others, and with others, and by others, and for others, and as others. And that's a different, and they want to, and that's called the bodhisattva path. So those are two different ways. They're both good, and there's a third way, which is saying that the two are the same. So there's the individual vehicle, there's the universal vehicle, and then there's like one vehicle. Everybody's actually doing this together, which also allows you to do it by yourself and have a really good time sometimes. <laughs> and sometimes it's really hard, but then you kind of get the hang of it and you say, this is really good for me, but what about the other people? Well, yeah. You cannot get away from them. And if you keep practicing your individual vehicle, you'll probably eventually understand that you never, they never, never were not included in your practice, and you were never not included in theirs. But this is hard to understand. But that is kind of the, one of the party lines, <laughs> is that this practice, this self-receiving and employing samadhi, is the same practice as you and all beings. That's what this text says. Uh, well, this translation is a little bit different. At the end of this translation, it says, each moment of zazen, brackets, social justice, close brackets, is equally Where is it? Each moment of zazen is equally wholeness of practice, equally wholeness of enlightenment.
Another translation would be each moment of zazen is equally the same practice and equally the same enlightenment as the person sitting here and all beings. That's what zazen is. It's the way your practice is the same practice as all the Buddhas and all the non-Buddhas. That's what zazen is. That's what's going on in the Buddha's mind, is the Buddha's enjoying perfect enlightenment and enjoying that this enlightenment is the same practice as everybody and the same enlightenment, and they don't necessarily get it. <clears throat> and it also says in this text, well, it says, you know, that that this samadhi, this self-received, this self-fulfillment samadhi, which is also this other fulfillment samadhi, that this is the practice here. This is the path that Buddhas walk. Self-fulfillment samadhi, other fulfillment samadhi. This is the path. And it says, from the first time you meet a teacher, from the first time you meet a master, just wholeheartedly sit. From the first time you meet a master, from the first time you receive the face of the teacher, which means the first time you give somebody your face completely, and somebody gives their face completely, and you receive it, that's the meeting with the master. From the first time you meet somebody and realize who they are, what they are. First time you, from the first time you meet somebody and realize what they are, at that moment when you realize what they are, you meet the master. You meet somebody's face and you realize what that face is. It's a, it's a woman's face, it's a man's face, you know, it's a woman's face, it's a woman's face, yeah. But then you understand what that woman's face is you understand that it's actually completely otherwise. And then you meet your master. You see the woman, you see the man, and you see them wholeheartedly, and then you see, oh, oh wow. <laughs> That's meeting the master. You hear their voice, a high voice, a low voice. You hear it, and you hear it wholeheartedly. You receive that voice, which is a face. And you give your face and your ears to that voice. And you hear it wholeheartedly. And then you hear something else. What is that sound that I'm hearing at the same time that they're talking? That's meeting the master. <laughs> I often tell this story I was listening to. Uh, Dainin Katagiro should give a talk in San Francisco one day in the Buddha Hall. And um, it was probably on the Shobogenzo, I don't remember. But anyway, he wanted to say something to us when he was giving his talks, and he was often having some difficulty saying it to us in English. And, when he, and he would often, while he was trying to talk to us, he would, go, he would say something and go... You know, that wasn't quite it, you know. Anyway, he was working hard 
having a hard time, trying to, you know, really trying to say something to us. And I was listening to him, you know, and I loved him and blah, blah. And I wasn't like feeling, well, I wish he would say something interesting or whatever. I, I, I liked his talks. And I could see he's having a hard time <laughs> speaking English. And, I, and then while he was talking, I heard this other sound. And it wasn't street noise. It wasn't a ringing in my ear, although it could have been. There was street noise. I heard that too. But I heard this other sound, which seemed to be, I hadn't heard this sound before. I wondered, what is that sound? And of course, it wasn't exactly a sound. But it was definitely, it was like a, it was a message. I thought, well, maybe I'm hearing the Dharma. I don't know if I was, but anyway. I was definitely hearing something that was not what he was saying, and it was not the street noise, and uh, it was not me saying, well, maybe it's the Dharma. It was something other than my theories about what it might have been. And I was very happy to hear it, whatever that was. It's like that. From the first time you meet the master, which might be simultaneously with, at the same time you meet a, a guru, you know, an official guru. You might be talking to a guru. And then at the same time you're talking to the guru, like, it's like somebody else shows up and doesn't mind the guru being there. You can, you, you can stay there, but you don't have to move over, but I'm here too, and this person's come to meet me. So you just keep talking away there, whatever you're doing, and let them meet me. And, and I, re- I thank you, Guru, for being here with me. And can I meet this other, whatever this is? And the Guru might say, yeah, go ahead, say hi. That's meeting the Master. And you can learn from this. You can learn from this. You can be instructed by this. And then from there, you can figure out how to act moment by moment in this world. This is, this is face-to-face transmission. From the first time you meet the master, from the first time of this face-to-face transmission, just wholeheartedly sit. Once you're in this meeting, then just be still with that and then let the Dharma unfold through that stillness, through that meeting and the stillness. And there will be tremendous activity in that stillness coming from this meeting. So it goes on. It says, from the first time you meet a master, just wholeheartedly sit. And then in that, there's going to be body and mind will drop away. In other words, you'll be liberated. You receive this transmission, you give this transmission, you receive this face, you give this face, you receive this real face, this original face, you give your original face, and now just be still with this, and then enjoy the liberation. But also, it says, After it says this, the next thing it says is, when even for a moment you express 
the Buddha seal, the Buddha's seal. When even for a moment you express the Buddha's seal. So I'm, I'm suggesting to you that expressing the Buddha's seal is to express, this is the Buddha's seal. So you've had, you've, you've had this meeting. Now, even if in a moment you express this Buddha seal, which the Buddha seal is, this, is the seal between you and the Buddha mind. It's the Buddha mind seal. It's the way your mind is the Buddha mind seal. The Buddha mind seal is not this thing over here and you're over there. The Buddha mind seal is the transmission between Buddha mind and you. It's the seal between you and Buddhas. It's the way you and Buddha are practicing together. Now, once this has happened, then you just sit still and express that. So as people know, one way to express it, I've told you, is to pick up a cup of tea carefully, gratefully, wholeheartedly, and drink it. Or not. Did you see me not drink it? When even for a moment I don't drink this tea and express the Buddha mind seal, or when I do, when even for a moment I or you express this practice you're doing together with the Buddhas, which is the Buddha mind, again, the Buddha mind isn't Buddha's mind, Versus yours, the Buddha mind is the way Buddha mind is your mind and the way your mind is. That's the Buddha mind seal. When you express that, which has been given to you and which you have received, even for a moment when you express that, how? Well, with your hands. Okay, this is, I'm doing this to express the Buddha mind seal. When I use my hand gestures to express the Buddha mind seal, to, to display it, to show it, to demonstrate it, well, that's nice for me. I, I like to drink tea to express the Buddha mind seal. This moment, the, that I express it with my hands and my lips, when I speak of it with my voice, when I think of it with my mind, these are the ways I can express it and demonstrate it. When that happens, the entire phenomenal world becomes the Buddha mind seal. That's what the text says. When you express this in your gestures, in your voice, and in your thought, the whole phenomenal world becomes this, this, this expression. The whole phenomenal world is expressing it. And the entire sky turns into enlightenment. And then it goes on, talking about what happens when you, in your limited way, through your limitation, you use your limitation to show, to demonstrate, 
this transmission and how the whole world is affected. And again, somebody said, I, you know, I, I can dig this drinking tea, it's, you know, carefully, it's, it's, it's wonderful. But how does my drinking tea benefit people all over the universe? I don't get it. Well, it's hard to get it. You can't get it. You just do it or not. Or rather, you just do it and you understand that or you don't because you think, because you think. <laughs> and when you think, you might think that it probably, you'd be able to think how it would happen, but you can't think how, you can think how it's happening, that's not how it's happening. The way this tea drinking, which is demonstrating, which is expressing the Buddha mind seal, the way that this becomes the entire phenomenal world, I cannot think. It's unthinkable. It's unnameable. It's unstoppable. And it's rolling right along all the time in this way. But it's unthinkable. It's inconceivable. But my conceptions are donated to this expression, and that is how the entire phenomenal world does it, too. Each phenomena does it just like I do it. They give themselves to reality. I give myself to reality. As you also know, a monk comes to see, to visit the great master Madsu and says, can I talk to the teacher? Are you the teacher's attendant? Yeah. Can I talk to him? What do you want to talk to him about? I want to know what the ultimate truth of the Buddhas is. Okay, I'll go ask him. See if he wants to talk to you. And the attendant goes to Matsu and says, a monk has shown up and he wants to know what the ultimate teaching of the Buddhas is. I tell him to drink some tea and go. So the attendant tells him, and he said, well, I told him, and he, he drank tea and left. And by the way, teacher, what is the teaching? And Matsu says, have some tea and go. Would you please explain that? Sure. Not right now, though. So now it's getting late again. And uh, there's a big book in the other room which I didn't bring. And I I may need to ask somebody to go get it, but so far I don't think I need it. I just, but I'll tell you about it. It's it's about that thick, maybe a thousand pages, I don't know. No, maybe not. Anyway, it's a big (laughs) fat book and it's translations of Pali, I think. And the Pali is like a transcription of what supposedly what the Buddha said. My scholarly background tells me the Buddha did not speak in Pali. The Buddha did not speak in Sanskrit. 
and I don't know offhand what language the Buddha spoke in. But when they, after quite a long time after the Buddha passed away, um, people started to write down what he wrote, what he spoke in Pali and Sanskrit. So one set of records of what he said are in Pali, and those Pali texts have been translated into English, and in one of the translations is called Discourse, or you could say, actually, <laughs> in semantics, discourse is a generalized category of conversation. For lay people, let's just say conversation. Okay? Technically, it says discourse, but, but let's call it conversation. A conversation about what? Dis about elements. It's called that because in this scripture, there is a conversation about elements going on. <clears throat> at the beginning of the discourse, at the beginning of the conversation, they describe the circumstances of the conversation. So there's this actually spiritual master, and his name was Pukasati. And he lived, I guess, somewhere in India. And he had a large group of students, and uh, he, was, he, he was enough of a master to have, a, to, a, to have arrived at the stage of humility. <laughs> he got that advanced. That's quite advanced. Usually people go, they're kind of humble, and they get more advanced and more advanced, and they start getting, they start getting somewhat proud of their great attainments, which are great, and therefore there's a temptation to be proud of it. And then they get prouder and prouder, and then they start getting humble. <laughs> so he may have been proud. I don't, I don't know if he got, went through a pride phase. But at the time of this story, he's starting to be, he's advanced enough, he's an advanced enough teacher to be kind of humble. And when you're humble, you're maybe be able to ask the question, I wonder if I understand what's going on. Maybe I don't. Maybe, I don't, maybe I'm not right all the time. So anyway, uh, in his wondering if he actually could learn more about what's going on than he knows, he got a visitation from one of these things called divine beings. To make a long story short, I'll just leave it at that. And the divine being heard his wondering and said, well, actually, uh, you do have more to learn. It's nice that you're wondering. And yes, your studies can go deeper. And there is somebody who can help, it, help you with your studies. Somebody's really gone very deeply. And is, uh, they call him Gautama Buddha. And he lives over... He's, right now, he's over in, um, I think he's over in Sarnath. So you can go visit him. And I think he might be able to take you deeper into the truth. And this guy says, okay. He didn't say, how dare you say I can go deeper? I'm a master. No, he said, thank you, sort of. And then he heads off to see the Buddha. This is a story, right? It's like when I hear this, I think, 
how could this possibly be true? That somebody is so... How can somebody who's like a, got a big group of people still be open to like, maybe I don't understand, even though I'm teaching all these people, and then, and then be visited by instruction about where to go to get further education? Could that really be happen? Well, anyway, that's the story. So he heads off. Now, here's another part that's really kind of like difficult to believe. At the same time that he heads off, over like a pretty far away, far away, this guy, I don't know where this guy is, but pretty far away, the Buddha decides to take a walk. Now, it doesn't say, I don't know if it says, he, the Buddha realized that this guy was coming to meet him, and so he decided to take a walk and go meet him. I don't know if it says that. That's why, I, I, if I had the book, I could read it, but I, I don't, is it okay if I just guess that the Buddha just decided to take a walk, and I don't know if the Buddha knew that this guy's coming to see him, but maybe he does know. Some commentators on this scripture say the Buddha did know this guy was coming to see him, and he wanted to shorten his trip. So here's the great teacher, who, by the way, was just like Pukasati, now and in the past. The great teacher was a teacher before he was a Buddha. And the great teacher wondered how his teaching was, and he went to visit teachers. The Buddha studied with many teachers. The Buddha said, I studied with many teachers, and some of them were Buddhas. That's what the historical Buddha said. I studied with Buddhas. I didn't come up with this all by myself. I'm the first one around here who come up with it, but I've had teachers in the past. And people who want to have teachers are like I was and like I am. So anyway, the Buddha says to his group, uh, group, I'm going to go on a walk. And the group says, should we go with you? And he said, no, this is, um, this is a solitary walk. I'm going by myself. So here's the Buddha. So, uh, if the Buddha's walking with his group, you can kind of tell us the Buddha. <laughs> well, look at this big group coming, you know. <laughs> this, is, is there some dignitary among them? This is not a mob. This is like this mass of serenity coming towards us. Oh, oh it looks like they're kind of gathered around that person. Maybe that's a great teacher. And it wasn't like that. Just by himself. And I think the story also says he took off his glamour. So he's walking down the road and like, people can't see the aura. There's a big aura around him, uh, which you can see. And, and the aura is all living beings. It's like, whoa. What's at the center of all those living beings? Well, it's, it's this samadhi. And, but he, he took away the, the, the group, and so he looked like a human walking down the road. Took off his makeup, took off his gold paint, <laughs> shrunk down to like six feet tall or whatever, from 16. Anyway, it looked like, looked like a yogi. And there, at that time in India, there was a lot of them walking around the streets. And actually, there's still a lot of yogis walking around India. Per capita... I don't know if it's as many as there used to be, but there's a billion people over there, so there's a lot of yogis. 
I don't know if it's 1% of the population is yogis or two, but 1% of a billion is a lot of yogis. So here's a yogi walking down the street. He's, you know, wearing kind of like ordinary clothes. Nobody can see it's the Buddha. And also, I don't know how the Buddha knows where to meet this guy, but somehow <laughs> he goes to the place this guy's going. So this guy's going to go to Rajagriha on the way to Sarnath. And the Buddha just happens to go to the same town. Is this like a two, is this like, could this really have happened? Then that's the story. And this, uh, this yogi, Pukasati, gets to the town before the Buddha and goes looking around for a place to stay on his way to meet the teacher. He wants to meet the teacher, right? <laughs> He wants, he wants to have a meeting with the teacher. He wants to have a conversation with the teacher to deepen social justice in India. And so he finds a place in, in a potter's shed. He, go, he finds a potter and says, do you have a place I can stay? And the potter says, yeah, you can stay in my shed. So he's staying in the potter's shed. And guess who shows up at the potter's house? Shakyamuni Buddha? Of all people in the history of the world, here's the first Buddha in, in the world coming to the potter's house and saying, do you have a place I could stay? Now the potter doesn't know this is Shakyamuni Buddha. But he says, yeah, I do have a place, but somebody's already occupying it. And if it's Okay with him, it's fine with me. So the Buddha goes and asks this guy who's coming to meet him if he can stay in the same place. And the guy says, sure, man, you can stay here. This person does not see the Buddha. He sees a, a yogi, which is, he sees a man. And he says, you can stay here. But he doesn't see the Buddha. The Buddha is the way that this man is nothing of himself. The Buddha is the way Pukasati is nothing in and of himself. And Pukasati does not see his own Buddha and does not see the Buddha who's right in front of him. The Buddha is in front of him. But the Buddha is not that face. The Buddha is the otherness of that face. The Buddha is the way that person is nothing in, him, in himself, nothing by himself. The Buddha is the way that person is everything in the universe. And this person has realized that, and he doesn't see it. But he lets the person stay with him, which was a good move. <laughs> and I know that's tricky when people come to your house. You're not sure if they're going to turn out to be the Buddha. But anyway, the, the potter let me stay here, the potter lets him stay here, maybe he's okay. Okay, you can stay here. So they're sitting together, doing yogis kind of stuff. 
both enjoying their yoga practice. And, um, and then, again, this may not be true to the story, but my memory of the story is the Buddha looks at this yogi and thinks, this is a pretty good yogi. He's, he knows how to do yoga. He knows how to sit upright. Very nice. And also, brackets, he's traveled a long way to meet me, although he doesn't know I'm the one he's coming to meet. Close brackets. So since he's coming to meet me, maybe he'd like me to give him a little talk. Since he's come to have a conversation with me, maybe he'd like to have a conversation with me. Actually, we've already started. Maybe he'd like me to continue it. So the Buddha says, uh, would you like to hear a little talk about, a little conversation about elements? And the guy says, yeah, go ahead. The guy could have said, no, no, I'm meditating, or you know, I don't want to hear anything from you. I'm getting ready to meet the Buddha. Oh, actually, I forgot a very important part. Excuse me. <laughs> Do you excuse me for forgetting? Do you excuse me for forgetting? Do you excuse me for forgetting? Yeah, I forgot a really important part. So before the Buddha made this offering to this person who's coming to meet him, he says to the guy, he already knows, I think, but he says to the guy, under whom have you gone forth? Which is, it means, who's your teacher? Under whom have you gone forth on the path of realization? And the guy says, I'm, my teacher is Shakyamuni Buddha. <laughs> okay, is that clear? Isn't that amazing? Is that, is that amazing? Terrence? No. Last, I'll tell you again. So, <laughs> somebody comes to meet you, and you ask them, who's, who's, who's your teacher? And they say, my teacher is Terrence. And he doesn't know that he's met Terrence. And then the Buddha says to the guy, Yes, John? Who asked the question? Oh, the Buddha said to the Pukasati, Shakyamuni says to Pukasati, the Buddha says to the monk, who's your teacher? And the monk says, the yogi says, the teacher says, Shakyamuni Buddha is my teacher. So he says to Shakyamuni that Shakyamuni is his teacher. He's never met Shakyamuni before, but this is who he's coming to study with. He's looking for Shakyamuni. And Shakyamuni says to him, have you ever met him before? And the guy says, no. In other words, he's, he's kind of a simple guy. He tells the truth. Like, this is my teacher. I'm going to meet him. And have you met him? No. Would you, know, would you recognize him if you saw him? No. And then he says, well, maybe you'd like to hear a talk. So then he gives him this very nice talk about elements, which goes on for quite a while. And while he's talking to him, <laughs> this thing happens where he starts to see his teacher. While he's looking at this person giving this really nice talk, 
he somehow realizes, oh, this is my teacher. He sees his teacher. At the same time, he sees this person giving this really nice talk. But out of respect for his teacher, who he now has met and realizes it, he lets him finish. He doesn't just blurt out, you don't have to say any more. I, I, I got what I came for. Thank you. He lets him finish. And then when he finishes, then he says, you know, I've, I've been looking for my teacher, and my teacher has come. And I'm also really sorry that when you came, I, when you came, I couldn't see my teacher, so I talked to you. I didn't, say, I didn't welcome my teacher. I'm sorry. I just treated you like another yogi. And the Buddha says, yes, that was kind of like, you didn't recognize me, and, and it's, it's actually not so good not to recognize me, but you didn't. However, now you're, you see that you didn't, and you confess it, and you're sorry, and this is our practice. This is the pure and simple color of true practice. This is the true mind of faith, the true body of faith. You meet the Buddha, you don't get it, and therefore you don't like say, thank you for coming, I've been waiting my whole life. You don't say that, you just say, okay. And then you see the Buddha and you say, I'm sorry. And the Buddha says, this is, fine. This is good, this is how we practice. So, he was having face-to-face transmission with the Buddha. You know, and the Buddha was saying, who's your teacher? Shakyamuni. Have you met him? No, this is face-to-face transmission. They're doing it, but he doesn't see it. And then, and then he does see it. And it's going on, but we don't see it. But by having a conversation with somebody who you don't see the Buddha face while you're talking to them. If you're diligent in your conversation with anybody, you will see the Buddha, because the Buddha is right there in that conversation. But it's hard to understand before you understand. (laughs) Because, and, and you already do understand, but you have some idea that understanding would be different than like this right now. And because I think it would be different from this right now, I think this probably isn't it. And to say that it is, is going too far. To say that this is it, is going too far, because this is actually nothing by itself. So what is this? Well, this also is face-to-face transmission, and I don't know what that is, but I want it. So I haven't been telling you very many Zen stories, so now I'm going to make up for it. Because <laughs> I know it's nice to hear it instead of stories about me and my grandson or granddaughter. <clears throat> to see how the old stories are like the new stories. I'm going to tell a new story first and then tell the old story. The new story is, I, was, I used to be in San Francisco like a few days ago. I was, in, I was in the Bay Area in a beautiful valley 
<laughs> where there's a sign. And the sign says, this valley is a sanctuary. And I don't know who put that sign up, but anyway, when I saw it, I thought, hmm, interesting. It's down in the, it's down in the farm. <clears throat> I think maybe the farmers put it up. So anyway, I, I, I was there, and I was practicing in that valley, and guess who I was practicing with? Anybody? Huh? Yeah, I was, I was out there in that valley practicing with you. But because you didn't know that, some of you didn't know it, and actually some of you still can't believe that I was practicing with you when I was in that valley, I had to come all the way to New York to, so you could see that I'm practicing with you. Now you can see it, right? Can you see I'm practicing with you? Well, sort of, right? But some of you couldn't see it when I was out there. And also, when I leave and go back, you may not be able to believe I'm still practicing with you. It's hard to believe that when I'm walking through the fields with my, walk, with my walking poles, looking at signs on fences, that I'm practicing with you. And if you have a hard time with that, then I have to come back again. So anyway, <clears throat> a monk came to visit a, a famous Zen master. I don't know if he was famous. He wasn't as famous then as he is now. Just like Suzuki Roshi when he lived, he was a little bit famous, but now he's super famous. Like when he died, there was 132 people in the Zendo. But if he was alive now, we'd have to you know, rent a really big place because thousands of people would come to sit with him. 113-year-old Zen master offers Sashin <laughs> in TNT Park. <laughs> but anyway, a monk was coming to meet the great Zen master, Nanchuan, which means southern, southern spring. And he was walking up to the monastery <clears throat> and as he approached the monastery, he came upon some monks who were out cutting grass. And one of the monks was Nanchuan. And again, it's kind of amazing, he went up to Nanchuan and said, where's Nanchuan? <laughs> so the Chinese Zen masters were named after the monastery. So the monastery is called Nanchuan. So they call Nanchuan by the name of his monastery. So he says, I'm looking for Nanchuan, which means I'm looking for the monastery, but I'm also looking for the teacher. So he's looking at the teacher, and he says, I'm looking for the teacher. I'm looking for Nanchuan. Where is he? And Nanchuan says, this sickle is very sharp. And the monk said, I, well, yeah, fine, but <laughs> would you please tell me where Nanchuan is? And then Nanchuan says, it costs $30. 
and I, I don't know, I think the monk walked off, you know, asked somebody else where Nanjuan is. They were having face-to-face -face transmission, and he missed it. He didn't want this face-to-face -face transmission. He wants another one with Nanjuan. Even though he's getting exactly what he asked for, he can't believe it. And also, he probably doesn't believe that this conversation right here is the same conversation that everybody in the universe is having. That's really hard. Everybody's going up to their friend and saying, I, I want to meet you, but we don't get it. And I want you to meet me. It's hard to understand, but we can, but we're, try, we're trying. We're trying. This is, the, we're, this is our effort, is to remember that this is what we want. And we want this completely. Which means, I want to be like me right now, with you right now, and I want you to be completely you right now, with me right now. And if we can do that, we can both be completely free of the way we are, together. And if I'm not completely who I am, you can help me wonder if I'm completely who I am. And if I am completely who I am, even more, it'll be easy for me to wonder if I am. And you help me. And if we ever did become mature and understand, oh, I now understand that I together with all of you, attain the Buddha way. If I ever did understand that, then that would just be the beginning of the next conversation. <coughs> now I can really talk to people. Now I can really, even more wholeheartedly, have conversations with people. And I'm so happy to do so. And my happiness is the happiness of all beings, even though they might think that the Buddha's happiness is different from theirs. Because they're actually, maybe they're even feeling unhappy, and they think the Buddha's happiness is something other than that. But the Buddha does not think that. The Buddha says, I'm identical with you, and you're identical with me, and we're realizing this together. We're doing the work. And you think it's something else, so that's stressful for you. And I'm, I'm just like you. I do not think I'm different from you. I'm over that. And you're going to get over it, too. And you already have, but you don't realize it. And it's, and so and we have all these challenges to be kind to, which is all these challenges to converse with. Right here in this temple, we have challenges. <laughs> <laughs> with our own mind and body, with others' minds and bodies. Such, we have so many opportunities. And part of the practice is to be yourself and say um, <clears throat> various things. <laughs> like, can I, have a re can I rest? Did I, just, did I recently tell you the story about being with my grandson and saying, can I rest? Did I tell you that story? No. I tell that story 
quite a few times. I didn't know if I told it here in the last few days. So I'm playing with this boy 13 years ago, maybe. He's like four. And when he's four and he's with me, he kind of thinks that I'm the most interesting thing around. And he has lots of questions for me. And with him, I talked to him. When he was little, I talked to him more than I talked to anybody in my life because he was nonstop asking me questions. So it was like question, response, question, response. It was like really intense. <laughs> and he, he, he really was interested in, in asking me questions. Now he's bigger than me, and he doesn't ask me questions very often anymore. But, he's, but he knows I love him still. And he's, I told you about him saying, stop looking at me, right? I was looking at him and adoring him. And he said, would you stop staring at me? Remember that? That was two years later. So when he was four, though, he could stand me looking at him. He could tolerate the, the love, the adoration. But when he was six or seven, it's like too much. Now that he's 17, he can start to open to it again. He's a bigger boy. But he doesn't have too many questions for him anymore. He's busy asking other people questions, which is fine. So he's asking me these questions. It's really intense. And he gets to sleep like eight or 10 hours at night. And I don't. So I'm getting kind of tired, you know, because I've been up since 4.15. And uh, he's like really working me. And uh, I love it, but I'm getting tired. I'm almost passing out. And I say, I'm getting, I'm kind of like losing it. Can I take a nap? He doesn't need a nap at this point in his life. Can I take a nap? No. <laughs> Please, no. I'll be, able, I'll, be able, I'll be a better playmate if you let me take just a short nap. OK. I take a nap, come back. And he sees, yeah, OK, good. Maybe I'll let you do that again someday. <laughs> so part of the conversation is when you get tired, you can ask your interlocutor, I need a nap, or I need a break. Can I go away for an hour and come back? This is getting too intense with me. I'm on the verge of losing it. I'm afraid I'm going to, like, whatever, do something unskillful. So can I have a little break, please? How long do you want? An hour. OK. And if I need more than an hour, I'll come back in an hour and ask for an extension. Keep in touch. Don't just walk off. Because this person wants to talk to you. And there, it's, you know, it's intense. So you're getting tired, or you're getting scared. You're on the verge of being overwhelmed and becoming defensive. OK, maybe time for a little change of pace. You're, you know you need it, ask for it. And then they might say, no. And you say, please, no, please. <laughs> How much do you want? This much. Not too much. How about you negotiate. And, but even before you come to a conclusion, the negotiation may be actually quite restful. And they may say at the end, at, as the negotiation proceeds, you don't need a rest. And you might say, well, you know, you're right. I thought I did a few minutes ago, but somehow this this begging you for a break has become quite refreshing. <laughs> yeah, I, I didn't expect this to be refreshing, but now I, you're right, I don't need a break. 
I thought so before, but I'm, yeah. And I say the same to you right now. I don't need a break right now. So if you want to talk to me more, go ahead. <laughs> mm -hmm. If you want a conversation with me, would you please come up here, John? You can bring, bring a cushion if you need it. I'm going to put a Zabaton out for you. There's a number of Zen stories where people are having a meeting and one of the people says, come closer. <laughs> I'd like it right there, please. Is this going to be OK for you to sit down there for a while? It's OK. All right. Thank you. Please have a seat. Thank you for coming. You're welcome. You're welcome, too. <clears throat> so, ask my question or statement. So, uh, a person practices well mm -hmm. and uh, experiences enlightenment. And uh, when they do, all beings experience it with them. Yes? Yes. <laughs> Did you hear his, oh. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. Okay. That's my offering to you, is yes. A little something to say about that. Okay. Uh, well, the way I've always uh, understood life, uh, that's bizarre and incomprehensible. So I've been, and I remember first uh, retreat uh, I attended with you. You, meant, you made a little reference to that briefly, and I thought about it then. Uh, thinking, you know, trying to think or understand it as best I can. Uh, thinking, it's it's bizarre and incomprehensible uh, when you think about oneself and other selves as separate and small. So imagining that we uh, say that selves and self are not separate and vast and uh, limitless, uh, maybe then it's more, <coughs> more understandable. I, I heard you. Uh, did everybody hear him? Okay. So he thought he heard me say something like, life is incomprehensible. And I could imagine I, I could say life is incomprehensible. I could say that. I wouldn't necessarily say life is bizarre, but I would say sometimes life's bizarre. But I would say life is both comprehensible and incomprehensible. I would say it's really incomprehensible, and I would say it's provisionally or conventionally comprehensible. So in our consciousness, we, have, we can comprehend things. That's one of the advantages of consciousness. It's the land of comprehension, because we can, we can comprehend limited things. Like we have a limited view of our life, which we can comprehend. 
And we can also say this is bizarre, or we can say this is not bizarre. This kind of stuff goes on in consciousness, where I am. So where I am is a, is a cognitive process where things are reduced and, and limited and graspable. They seem to be graspable. It's an illusion, but that's what it looks like. It's a land of illusion. But there's another life, which is simultaneously with this comprehensible, limited life. There's an infinite life, which is simultaneous with this finite life. And we can learn things from the finite life, and we can learn things from infinite life. And, to, and, and I would say we are, we wish, we are yearning to realize learning from the limited life of karmic consciousness, where I am, and I speak for myself, I am, lear- I am yearning, I want to learn from my limited life. Like right now, I'm in a limited space with a limited view of you, and I want to learn from that. And I want to take care of my limited relationship with the limited person you appear to be, which I can comprehend. I can comprehend it a limited version of you, which I don't, by the way, think is bizarre. But I do think you look like a limited creature right now, and I can like comprehend that. And I want to take care of this relationship and this conversation for it, but also to realize that there's an infinite conversation going on simultaneously. I have an infinite life simultaneously, and I can learn things from this finite life, but I can learn things from my infinite life that I cannot learn from this finite life. And so I want to open to the infinity of what's going on here, which is not thinkable. It's unthinkable. It's unstoppable. It's ungraspable, but it is educational. I can learn from it. And learning from it is the way I'm going to realize, the way I'm, it's going to be realized in this life. And I need, I'm, I need to do that. That's part of social justice. It isn't just I make justice in this limited place, although I work on it here too. I need the infinite to be social justice. Because if I don't use it, I'm ignoring part of this, what's involved in justice. So part of my life is infinite, in, unthinkable, incomprehensible, inconceivable, and it can be realized, however. But in order to realize it, I have to take care of my limited life. And almost everybody knows their limited life a little bit. Uh, you know, If they don't, know it a little bit, they would, you know, die. But we cannot figure out how to take care of the limited just by the limited. We need the unlimited to supplement it. But we don't get to get the supplement if we don't do our homework in the land of limits. And in the land of limits, there's comments like bizarre and and inconceivable. But there's also comments comments like, that's quite conceivable. I'm working with a concept here. And, uh, and I also have concepts of how to work with concepts, like be kind to them and so on. 
And, if I, and I find that if I do these practices, I'm happy. I mean, I, I feel encouraged to continue. I feel like this is good. And then I'm also bringing up that in a, on a, in an infinite way, us taking care of this limited conversation also takes care of everybody else. That's the part that's inconceivable. But that, I, I need that part. Otherwise, I'm just helping me and maybe you. So you and I are helping each other, you know. But how is you and I helping each other helping women? How is me giving you respect also promoting respect for women? I'm saying it is, and that's hard to understand. How is white guys being nice to each other the same and as being nice to people of color? It's inconceivable, but that's the teaching. So we yearn to uh, learn from the unlimited and the inconceivable, the infinite, and we do that by uh, taking care of the limited? Yeah. When you take care of the limit, you open. Then you can welcome the face, the real face of the other. And then that's where, when the face of the other comes, that's when justice is realized. In the meantime, you welcome the face of kind of like what you think other people are. But they're actually not what you think they are. They're, they're, they're completely beyond that. They completely transcend what I think they are. But by taking care of what I think they are and what I think is the way to take care of them, which I've heard and has come into my mind, that opens the door to me being able to welcome the real, the, the, the complementary teacher to the limited teacher. Mm -hmm. Thank, you. Thank you for your questions. They were quite comprehensible. <laughs> 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 yeah, may, may it be so. <laughs> okay, well, it's time for service. But uh, we could, uh, yeah, I know, I know, I know, I know. I'm just, I know you are, I know you are, but I'm, you know, I, I'm totally insulted that you don't think I know all, I don't, I don't see all those, all those hands all over the room. I'm not really. That was a joke. <laughs> I'm a joke. Yes, Elizabeth, was it your hand that I saw over there? Okay, I'm ready. Do <laughs> <laughs> you want to come up? Or do you want to stay there? Yeah, I'd like you to come up. Could you get. There's a Zafu here for you. All the better to see you. <laughs> All the better to hear you. Thank you for taking my question. You're welcome. Um, I don't actually have a question, but I just I want to be in the conversation. Mm -hmm. And I find it very challenging. Stressful. And yet you're here. And yet you're here. Yeah, you're. You, thank you for coming and doing something that's challenging and stressful. 
thank you. You're welcome. You're just, you're just here practicing, me too. But also, I'm just here practicing with you. And, saying, and we're saying thank you to each other for coming to meet each other. And, uh, and we, I guess we want to continue even if it gets scary. Right. And if it gets too scary, we can take a little break, take a nap. It's getting too scary. Can I have a break? I'm, I'm feeling more relaxed. Yeah. yeah. When, when you dive in, it, right. you can start playing. I mean, it's a little easier being this close to you, and I, I want to thank everybody. Because <laughs> when I'm sitting, I can really feel everyone that is helping me. Somehow, when I'm speaking, before I speak, my idea of people is, is just before is you really speak. Wrong. Well, just the whole time I'm I'm wanting to speak, but so you're when you when you're sitting in silence, you feel all the support. Yeah. And then when you when your thought arises of speaking, mm -hmm. the 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 support kind of backs away. Right, and I think everyone, even though I know people are welcoming me to speak, and I can see. You know, I think that's my what. Smiles across the room and where is he? Seat. Didn't you didn't you say that the other day? Yeah. yeah, he was saying. I know these are all these people are welcoming me, but still, when you feel that, a lot of emotion comes up. So can you talk when there's a lot of emotion? It's harder. It's emotion and it's fear. Mm -hmm. and suddenly, I feel. I imagine everyone's. Well, you know what you might. What you might do is, is you're sitting and you're feeling all the support. So then just think of speaking to people just for a little bit. Like just think about it like, okay, and then, and then as the fear comes up, give it up. Okay? Pretty yeah, pretty quick. Give it up. <laughs> yeah, just, just go, peekaboo, yikes! Close it. <laughs> Hello, that's enough. <laughs> and then calm down again. Okay. And then go, ready for another little, little bite? Nope. Ready? Do you feel enough support now to like look at the other? The other. The other is awesome. You could also say awful, full of awe. Really? When this guy who was not seeing the Buddha saw the Buddha, he was awestruck. So th this, this is like, he, you know, okay, so you, am I ready to meet? No. Okay. So just open it again and, and then calm down. Get too excited? That's enough. Just a little bit, a little bit. And go back to calm. You calm again? Yeah. Okay. Let me know when I'm ready to try to think about it again. It's like, you know, going into cold water or something. That's, that's enough. You can put your foot in a in really cold water. But you have to work up to putting your whole body in cold water. Otherwise, you, I think it's your the nerve here, some, some nerve causes your heart to stop. You know, if you go into cold water too fast without getting acclimatized. So just 
there, you got it. This is an experiment you can do. Okay, here I am feeling all the support. Now I'm just going to, like as an experiment, think about talking to people and see what happens. You might feel like, oh wow, I've been thinking about it for quite a while and I haven't got too, too worked up. Hmm. You will be able to learn this, but you have to practice it. And you can practice it without actually coming up and talking. And then you feel like, you know, I'm ready to go up and talk for a little bit. And, any, and in fact, you did come up here and talk a little bit. And this is registering on your body and your unconscious. Your unconscious knows, well, actually, she may not think it's safe, but we, we actually went through this with her, and we can support her to consider this again. So you just keep doing this, and you will be able to eventually really open to this awesome situation. But step by step, bite by bite. Thank you. You're welcome. And it's all supported by what you feel the support of. You don't do this by your own power. We're all helping you. And you're helping all of us by this process. Your fearlessness is our fearlessness. And that's very hard to understand. Anything, any other hands that were raised that would wish to be called upon? Yes, what's your name? Uh, Anne Sophie. Sophie? Yes. Would you like to come up, Anne Sophie? Sure. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you for coming to meet me. example that I've experienced myself um, mm -hmm. in, in families, for example, right? So I very often experience that when, when one person changes, you know, then the whole relationship changes in, in some way. And mm -hmm. sometimes it, it's like you can even feel that change, you know, before, before you even communicate with them. You know, mm -hmm. if, if one person changes, and same thing, you know, if you're, for example, I'm, I'm far away from my relatives, you know, mm -hmm. I'm, I'm from Denmark, but my mom can always heal if you know, if, if right. something changes with me. So wow, I, great. I just, yeah, so I, I was just wondering, is, uh, you know, is, is that part of what you mean by... You yes, know? that's like uh, a message from that. It's like a little visitor uh -huh. from that realm coming to, sit, to show you what's possible. Uh -huh. You know, and then also, you're, you're very fortunate because your mom doesn't write your letters and say, you didn't check with me before you changed. <laughs> <laughs> You changed, and then my whole life changed. You should check with me before you change. And you can write back and say, sorry, I can't ask you before I change. Mm -hmm. But, you know, I really appreciate that you'd like me to check with you before I change. Mm -hmm. And I'd, if I could, I really would be happy to do so. But, yeah, in a family of people like, you know, if you're going to change, check with us beforehand. <laughs> and, of course, you can't. But... It's actually it's kind of a nice request for that impossible thing. Because actually you did check, but nobody knows that you did. Because you couldn't change if they didn't say okay. But they don't know it, and you may not know it. But you might actually, you might have just said, in New York, you might say, Mom, can I change? And you hear her say yes, 
but she, over, she doesn't know. This is why we have to have a conversation. I'm sorry I didn't check with you before I changed. But sometimes you change and you didn't check and they don't even know you changed. So then you can say, could I talk to you about something? And they say, yeah. So can I tell you about some changes that have happened, which I didn't check out with you, but I want to tell you now about them? This is, and this is sometimes really difficult. You know, a mom, I got married. Sorry, I didn't check. <laughs> mom, I fell in love with somebody. I'm sorry, I didn't check. I actually would like to, but, it, but I can't. But I, w I just want you to know, I would like to check out with you everything before anything happens, but you know, I'd like to have an impossible relationship with you because I love you so much. So please accept my failure. But it's great that, sh that you have this kind of thing with her. Right. It's like, it's like, it is like reality. Uh -huh. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much. You're welcome. And there's, there's, and there's, you know, so many stories like this in, in our tradition of people knowing that they're going to meet before they meet, you know. Teachers having dreams of students coming, and then the student comes. And, you know, even teachers having dreams of students coming, and the other students who are already with them uh, say, well, when's so-and-so going to come? And say, well, they're not, you know, like one, one, one Zen teacher uh, was asked by um, the monks, you know, why he didn't have a head monk in the monastery. And he said, well, because the head monk hasn't been born yet. And then the teacher told the people a while later, the head monk has been born. And then, and then he, and the teacher told the students, the head monk is coming. And then he told the students, the head monk is at the gate. Would you please let her in? And they went in and they may have had some problems with this process, but anyway. <laughs> they, they stayed with their teacher, even so. Because that's just the way it was. That, and, so, and they let the head monk in and they let this newcomer be the head monk. Because this this, although he was a newcomer, he was the teacher saw that he was going to be the head monk, and he was that way before he was born. So we have these kind of stories, these amazing conversations. Hard to believe, hard to understand. But we have, you know, some really interesting people telling us that this is how it is. How it is, is it's hard to understand. Like Mr. Shakespeare tells us about that. We have a lot of good friends who are like saying, yeah, it's really, it's really hard to understand and it's really wonderful. And, uh, and we should help each other, what, uh, be kind to how hard it is to understand. Be kind to how hard it is to understand that this person is really a good friend of yours. You know, 
And, I, and you can think of some of these people I'm talking about that you're just really having a hard time thinking that this person's a good friend of yours. Right? That's hard to understand. And it doesn't mean that you don't tell this person that you really disagree with them and you really have some sincere requests that they make some big changes in the way they live. But this is your friend you're talking to. And if you really understand that, this person can feel that and listen to you, possibly. What you're asking for is ridiculous, but I'll consider it. Because you're, you know, you're treating me with such profound friendship. I'll consider this ridiculous request. You respect me, so you must be somewhat intelligent. A lot of people from your part of the country don't respect me. And so they're stupid and I'm not going to listen to them. But I can feel this respect and it's, it's kind of opening my heart. Matter of fact, now that my heart's open, I can see it probably was really hard for you to get to this place of being so open to me. Because you really have problems with me. You think I'm, you know, speaking in not good ways that are causing harm, and yet you still respect me. That's amazing. Wow. Maybe I'll try that someday. To respect people who say things that I think are really bad and not change my mind exactly, just open my heart to them. And then, they, and then be able to tell them, be able to have a conversation with them. Easy to say. Hard to practice, but not impossible. Just hard. <laughs> really hard. <laughs>